Hello, everybody. This is Dan Woods of Early Adopter Research doing a podcast at RSA 2019 with Phil Quaid, CISO of Fortinet. Today, we're going to ask the three questions we've been asking everybody else and also the bonus questions. But before we get to that, I'd like to have Phil explain what is Fortinet all about so we know his perspective. What, what does Fortinet do? And could you use the, the NIST framework as a way to kind of explain your capabilities? Be happy to, Dan. Thanks for having me today. Uh, Fortinet is a company that uh, does womb to tomb security or IoT to cloud security. Um, using an old Defense Department term, um, we execute a strategy called the OODA loop, where we're able to observe, orient, decide, and act, which is fundamentally what the NIST cybersecurity framework is about. It's about having a capability to detect things from happening before they turn bad, doing a mitigation when things do turn bad, or cleaning up afterwards informed by good shared situation awareness. So Fortinet specializes in having uh, plenty of detectors to detect risky conditions, plenty of actuators to be able to mitigate risky conditions, and then um, uh, overall insight and visibility so you can have um, a greater understanding of where you're at risk, where you're mitigating at risk, and where you need to be planning for the future. And the, the product names that people would recognize inside the, the Fortinet portfolio, you have uh, next generation firewalls, which is kind of the foundation of the company. But what are the other sort of uh, you know, product categories that are under the Fortinet umbrella? Fortinet started um, with its base product being a firewall, something called a 40 gate. All our firewall products are called 40 gates. And that was backed in the, uh, the, in the earlier days of firewalls, and they were, they were called uh, connection-oriented firewalls. And uh, they connection-oriented firewalls made sure that uh, only A talked to B, and if A wasn't talked to C, then a firewall would block it. The next generation of firewalls uh, was uh, second generation firewalls, more about um, content-oriented. It's not just looking about whether two entities connected in deciding to block it or not. It's actually evaluating the content of that communication and deciding what goes through, what doesn't, and which one meets, needs a little bit more, examina more examination kind of like a sand, sandbox feature where you you take something offline, detonate it in a detonation chamber in a sandbox, examine it for malicious indicators, and then decide whether to allow it to pass or not. So the third generation of firewalls, we believe, is something called intent-based security. That would allow you to greatly reduce the complexity that it would take for anyone to manage your system by having a human being describe their intent behind the security policy and have the computer science behind the firewalls themselves convert those into policies that firewalls know how to execute. So the, the foundational product of Fortinet are 40 gates, but uh, as I alluded to a little bit earlier, we have a, a suite of products all well integrated that work uh, in the front of the firewall, side by side of the firewall, and much further upstream. And what are those products? Just what, what kind of categories right. are um, there? I might, I might bin them into three main categories. It might even take us into some interesting area, which is an emerging fourth category. So the first category might be your core network, the things that, that uh, exist in your own data center, the, uh, uh, the, 40, the, the sandboxes I talked about, the web application firewalls, the, the all types of firewalls and other appliances that do analysis inside your core network. That might be one category. Another category would be appliances that work virtually. So you could think cloud, right? Um, almost all the functionality that we have, whether it be visibility, analysis, integration, automation, all the functionality we have in physical appliances are available in cloud-oriented appliances, whether that be private cloud, public cloud, or multi-cloud. That would be category two, virtualized solutions. And then the third category that I'd call would be endpoint-oriented solutions. So endpoint, as we know it today, excuse me, as we know it historically, 
has been the desktop, then the laptop, then the tablet, and now our smartphones. And so we have a whole category of solutions that work to allow secure access and secure operations of those endpoints. So those are the three broad categories. If, if I could, there's some other specialized categories um, that are worth mentioning here. And one of them is called operational technology, OT. OT, of course, is what's used in most of our critical infrastructures that uh, create and distribute electricity and water and things like that, as well as our industrial automation. Fortinet also provides solutions for the OT environment as well. Got it. So that's good. I just want everybody to know as we go through these questions, you know, what you guys are offering and where you come from. Uh, so the first question I have is about zero trust. Now, you know, when you think of, you know, the origins of zero trust and, and uh, you know, the, the concept, it's a great concept because the idea is that uh, you will have a bunch of users or a bunch of servers all connecting to whatever they need to connect to, and at some point they will be, their request for a connection will be evaluated and they will then either get with the, that connection or get it in a certain way that will ensure security. And the idea is that there is no real uh, perimeter anymore because the perimeter doesn't need to exist because you're protecting every you know, little entity that's inside your, your, your purview. Uh, it was really interesting to hear today the uh, OT speaker from Cisco talk about the carpeted space of you know the the, the, the pr protected network inside a company. So, but now m people are actually implementing zero trust in a inside the carpeted space, and so you know they're implementing zero trust even though they're inside a, a, a protected network. So that's fine because some people who are sometimes working inside the protected work network go out of the protected network and then they're in sort of a zero trust sort of environment. And so they need to be protected both ways. So what does, you know, zero trust mean in this current environment we're in, you know, where you don't, where most companies aren't completely cloud and living in a, you know, kind of a perimeterless environment? Um, to me, zero trust is kind of like saying, if you're going to drink, drink a lot, which is not always great advice. Meaning the, the theoretical trend behind zero trust is that you put a, uh, you control access at the most discrete level to every single person or object. And in theory, that is what you'd like to do. In practical sense, um, I think that the, the implementation is not so much um, that type of decision around every single access. It becomes too complex and too unwieldy to do things like that. Uh, I think the better approach to be talking about is segmentation. So segmentation has been around for a long time. That's about putting the appropriate, I'll call it boundary, around assets and things that matter. So as you alluded to earlier, the preeminent cybersecurity strategy of 10, 12 years ago was doing boundary defense. We create a, a virtual and physical boundary around our networks and we would do something called active cyber defense. We would detect and mitigate in cyber-relevant time, and we'd inform it by specialized uh, intelligence or information, active cyber defense. But uh, mobility, uh, wireless, and some other things meant that that boundary, that physical and virtual boundary, became less apparent. It gradually was morphing away into a whole bunch of little smaller boundaries, segments, smaller segments. So the importance of segmentation has, uh, has, has risen dramatically just in the past couple years as our assets need to be protected uh, no matter where they are and even if those assets move around. So I call that particular um, uh, strategy agile segmentation, the ability to uh, do segmentation, protect your assets no matter where they might be. Um, another important component of the segmentation strategy is the granularity in which you can enforce it. So 
There's a couple types, of course. There's macro segmentation and there's micro segmentation. Um, I, I think the, the definition of each of those terms is, self, is probably self-evident. Um, but anyway, uh, back, back to uh, uh, the preeminent strategy, I think it's segmentation done agilely both at the micro and macro level without uh, creating a complexity problem that makes the whole thing unwieldy. Right, and so the idea is you would say, yeah, let's call it whatever we're doing. Let's call our agile segmentation zero trust. That's fine because what you're doing is when something wakes up and joins the network, you're deciding what segment it's going to live inside of and what it has access to. I, I think that um, the the marketing around uh, around zero trust is kind of outpaced the headlights. I think the, the computer science and stra right. strategy around it is more about uh, right. segmentation. But, but I, I mean, that's, that's all that anybody who's doing zero trust claims they do anyway. <laughs> so, so, you know, it's just, just create a, an appropriate boundary and provide appropriate access. Right. Got it. Okay, so the next question I have is about uh, portfolio pruning, you know, and, and I'd like to actually expand the purview of this question given, you know, the nature of the Fortinet portfolio. What I mean by portfolio pruning is the idea that at some point in the history of cybersecurity, we should get to a point where you have fewer cybersecurity components, fewer cybersecurity products, and it seems, and, and, and fewer, you know, and, and, and fewer cybersecurity vendors. Now, what's happening, it seems, is that we are getting to a point where, um, Every generation of cybersecurity adds a new, you know, uh, collection of components, and that those are added to what was there already. Now, there has been some pruning, but it's only been pruning of the number of vendors. As, as vendors like Fortinet have grown and and expanded the the size of their portfolio, it's possible to have fewer vendors. But we haven't yet to found uh, uh, an arena where, or a situation where a new capability comes along and makes a bunch of older capabilities no longer necessary. Do you think we'll ever get to a, 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 an era where we actually do have the ability to you know, prune and shrink the size of the capabilities in our portfolios? Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I'd like to just to uh, refine the, the question a little bit. It's not that we're pruning the capabilities. I think we're going to prune the, the complexity of managing those capabilities. So I think the capabilities will become stronger and stronger the complexity necessary to, to uh, execute those capabilities will become easier and easier. So uh, back in my old days at NSA, uh, we used to do uh, authorized foreign intelligence as a team. We would go after a target from this direction and another direction, and we would combine those methodologies to achieve overall mission success. success. It's calling offense as a team, intelligence collection as a team. Um, at Fortinet, we wholly embrace that strategy. You can um, have multiple components, and if they're independently trying to defend, defend your network, you're only as strong as your weakest component. But if they're collaborating in uh, defending your network, their sum is greater than the individual parts. So, uh, back to your question about uh, pruning, uh, we need to prune, but what we need to prune is the complexity required to manage an integrated defense because the complexity is causing too many errors by the operators of these defenses, number one. And we need to prune the uh, individualism of all these different capabilities because, uh, as I mentioned earlier, uh, when you're defending individually, you're only as strong as your weakest link. Eight, ten years ago, you'd come to RSA and you'd be really interested in hearing about the shiniest new uh, capability that was out there. And a lot of the folks in the community bought those shiny new capabilities. But what they found, ourselves, found themselves, maybe starting three, four, five years ago, they realized that they had too many shiny individual capabilities and they needed a solution. So the Band-Aid solution was to come up with an orchestration, a SOAR product, 
and that was the darling of the RSA conference a few years back. But the trend by far is today is to go with a, 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 a vendor like Fortinet that has a, a very wide range of capabilities, but importantly, they're well integrated to, as I mentioned before, reduce complexity and do defenses. Well, you know, that brings up an, a related question to this pruning and, and the complexity reduction you mentioned, and that is this. It seems to be that while there is uh, some attempt for security vendors to offer APIs to each other, to offer um, standards for exchanging information, it seems to me all of those APIs, all of those standards, conceal important information that would be ideally available if you were doing an integration. And so you can do an integration, but you can only do it sort of like with, with, with blinders on. Uh, because you don't have access to the full context of what's going on inside the other product. And so, is it corollary to that, that the real, that really, at this point in cybersecurity, the only way to get an integrated portfolio is to have everything under the, the, the umbrella of one vendor, and that one vendor then, because it doesn't have to provide limited access through APIs, it can provide a full access to the, you know, everything about an event, everything about the context. It can actually do the integration better than a cross-company integration. Certainly if you were a, if you were a greenfield application, you were, you were starting your strategy and architecture from scratch, I would, I would no, doubt, no doubt I would go with a single vendor implementation, a well-integrated single implementation based on speed and integration, that's Fortinet. Um, that's not practical for most people. They're not starting from scratch. So what, so what you need um, is not just a rip and replace solution, but something that can be uh, well-integrated into existing solution. Um, Fortinet provides that um, in a couple different ways. Number one, you can build out from a core, small core of our suite of products that work over our security fabric to get those products to work together. But importantly, um, many of those products have, uh, excuse me, many other vendors are part of something we call the Security Fabric Alliance that allows other vendors' products connect to the Fortinet security fabric and can very, very richly um, collaborate in their defenses. So let me give you a quick example. Our, today, the Fortinet architecture over the fabric is connected to something called FortiGuard Labs. That's where we have over 200 people doing threat research about uh, the bad things that might happen in networks. We form indicators, we push them all across the security fabric. Fortinet devices consume them and block bad things from happening. However, we also have Fabric Alliance partners, and if they see something bad happening, they might say, hey, please examine this Fortinet component. Fortinet component goes and examines it, produces some insights, and pushes it back out to the requesting Fabric partner, but also pushes it out to all the other Fortinet appliances on the network. So what I'm trying to say is that um, uh, with a company like mine, you get a well-integrated solution from the beginning, but we also recognize that uh, you have to work well with others in the community, and that's what the Fabric Ready Alliance is all about. So what you're saying is that the answer is sort of Yes, but that doesn't mean that integration isn't necessary and and required. You know, yes, it's true that that having one uh, uh, integrated set of products under the umbrella of, of, of one vendor provides you some advantages. But you're also living in the real world where people have existing whatever it is, and if you're if you're if you're saying it's all or nothing. As a vendor, you're going to be really kicking yourself out of a lot of situations. That would be a hard, an all-or-nothing all approach would be a hard sell. And you're saying that the, the integrations aren't as hamstrung as I'm, I'm claiming. They, they can provide some value, maybe not as much value as inside a, a company's umbrella, but they can provide I'm, significant I'm, I'm value. most familiar with my, my company's um, uh, 
integrated solution. And certainly, um, a company that builds its own product from its own IP and its own workforce is going to produce a better integrated product than anyone else. And Fortinet is primarily, although you've done acquisitions, like the 80, 90% of your product is all based on stuff that was yeah, built from scratch by Fortinet. Yeah, by far. And so yeah. th that's, what that, what's, that's what lets us achieve strong integration and reduce complexity. So earlier I talked about um, our products, say a, a carrier grade firewall. We have the fastest firewalls on earth. The interface you'd use to configure that firewall is the exact same interface you'd have if you had a virtual firewall in the cloud or a little one over on their desktop. And that's because it's the same indigenous operating system developed by a common group of uh, US and Canadian developers. So yes, integration done from scratch is, is uh, tighter and less complex than others. Now, if I could, um, there's also one other thing that you can lay on top of this thing that can give you visibility across multiple vendors, and that's a SIM, right? right. Um, a SIM is designed to get visibility, no matter if it's uh, your own vendor's products or something else. Uh, Fortinet has a well-designed SIM that um, not only does its job very well from a SOC perspective, but also has uh, quite, a, quite a bit of NOC capability. So it's an integrated SOC NOC SIM designed to gradually reduce the complexity of managing security and network operations. And for those who are not as acronym friendly as we are, the SOC perspective is a security operations center. That's serving the needs of the security analysts who are trying to understand if there's any problems and address them. And the NOC is the network operations center, which is trying to make sure that the network is operating properly and there are no problems. Thank you, that. Dan, for that for the, the amplification. Well, no, I mean, just to, yeah. uh, most people will know those terms, but I just want, I like to always explain them. It's, it's even, if I could, um, it's, it's even the tip, perhaps, I don't want to call it the tip of the iceberg, but it's a, it's a trend where increasingly uh, convergence is happening among these network components. So, for example, um, in the on back at the endpoint, remember I talked about it as, as the third domain? Back at the endpoint, it used to be that uh, customers would have to buy maybe a wireless access con controller and a switch and then a separate security device to make sure those things were done securely. Um, Fortinet has decided to offer those solutions in one, one component, so you don't have to buy a separate access point and security access point. They're all in one thing. So there's convergence happening at the endpoint, there's convergence happening at the SIM, and there's even convergence happening in the core. So earlier I, I talked a lot about our firewalls. and So it's, that would be competitive with like a network vendor's product. Yeah, and our goal is not to compete with the vendor's product, but our goal is to make our customers more secure and, and less complex. Uh, one of the things that's just absolutely on fire right now from a, uh, a sales perspective and interest from our customers, we offer um, SD-WAN as a uh, for free, well-integrated product inside our 40 gates. Got and uh, SD-WAN is an example of something that allows customers to reduce operating costs and that comes for free inside our security products. Um, the next question I have is about cloud migration. You know, there, there, every component that's on-premise these days seems to have some aspect of it that does connect to some central cloud, whether it's to get, you know, to provide data that has ML learning that makes it smarter or to get access to the freshest, you know, threats or, or, or whatever. And so, but, but the bulk of cybersecurity spending is on devices that are in, that are on-premise. And, and even though we think of the cloud as a massive new trend, if you look at cybersecurity especially, it's, you know, the cloud's cloud centric products, cloud only products are like 20, 10% or something like that of, uh, of the spending. Um, what's, how is this transition to cloud-based cybersecurity going to take place? Or is it just as simple as saying, um, 
as assets uh, for computing move to the cloud, the cybersecurity that protects them will move as well. I mean, or I mean, or is it more complicated than that? Uh, you, you asked a, 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 an appropriately complex question. If I could, I'll break into a couple parts. So, the cloud, of course, is primarily about uh, about agility and scalability. It provides large amounts of storage or large amounts of high-performance computing uh, available to folks who otherwise couldn't afford it. Um, so it's it's not a re, it's not a, a lower cost solution. It's simply a flexible and agile way to get that data or compute power. But if you're going to do data or computing in the cloud, you make, need to make sure you have secure solutions, uh, secure solutions for each. You asked the question about to what degree will people move into cloud? Will they go all in, part in, or or need or you know stay out of it? Um, we think the answer is most companies will be. Uh, hybrid cloud. They'll have some assets in their own data centers, they'll have some assets in uh, private cloud, and they'll even have some assets in public cloud. Certainly that's where uh, large enterprises are, right? There's, there's advantages of being in each of those places. So I don't expect a complete migration to the cloud or a complete stuff arm in cloud among enterprise. Among some of the smaller businesses, um, there'll be a heavy temptation to move assets to the cloud because they can't afford to hire the right people to manage their own uh, indigenous infrastructure. So I, maybe a little bit more cloud among SMB, small and medium-sized business. But I think a mid and large enterprise uh, will have a mix of uh, on-prem and virtualized assets. And then how will that affect you know, cybersecurity uh, products? Will they become gradually just more cloud-based or will you do see the, the on-premise hardware-based systems lasting a long, long time? The, the latter, for sure, right? Uh, uh, in some of our previous conversations, we've talked about you know, what are the fundam fundamental elements of cybersecurity. And as I alluded to earlier, one of them is integration, meaning connectivity among devices. And the second one is speed, right? If you're going to be in the cyberspace business, cybersecurity business, you better be as fast as humanly or physically possible. Um, the way you do that is by having on-prem hardware-oriented clients. So if you're going to run a carrier infrastructure, you need to be really, really fast, right? So you've got to have the fastest things out there. So there is always going to be a room, always going to be a, a large, large room in our ecosystem for hardware-oriented appliances. Uh. So I have three other questions that I think we have time to get to, uh, and they're just, uh, they add uh, just different uh, ideas that I think you'll have opinions on. The first question is about ops discipline. Um, you know, what I'm asking here is would... CISOs be better off taking that next budget that they have for the next shiny new you know, cybersecurity capability and instead investing it in training or education or process monitoring or whatever is needed to increase the operational discipline. And what I, what I mean by that is improving configuration management, improving uh, patch management, improving asset inventory, uh, improving uh, automation so that you have much better awareness and control of your environment uh, and can do sophisticated complex things to change your environment and, um, and, and, and that would perhaps provide you better return than more cybersecurity componentry. Well said. I have a hard time uh, saying it better than your question's assertion. I, th I think you, you start by building an infrastructure based on speed and integration, number one. Number two, you make sure you have in place the right type of patching and training so that, the, uh, so that vulnerabilities 
don't bite you and human errors don't bite you. You can highly leverage uh, automation to compensate for those, uh, for those vulnerability detections and mitigations as well as um, help using automation to help detect and mitigate human errors. Uh, with those right types of hy hygiene in place, both hardware and software hygiene and people hygiene, user hygiene, uh, that's when you can start moving to the more advanced strategies where you use uh, automated analytics to look for other more deeply hidden vulnerabilities and more complex attacks. But I think you're spot on, Dan, that it starts with uh, building on a good foundation. Next, you make sure you have your, your foundations in place, the foundational strategies in place, highly automated, and then you move on to your advanced strategies. Um, the next question is about uh, one thing you mentioned the, with people hygiene, and that is, the people are the perimeter in, in, in some sense. The and human so, firewall. Yes, exactly. And so if you think about people being the perimeter, the only kind of, uh, you, 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 you def definitely have a never-ending battle to make them aware and smart and bought into good cybersecurity practices. You don't want the auditors being the ones complaining about having a post-it note with passwords on a computer. You want everybody in the company saying, that's really a bad idea. That's going to hurt us if you do that. So do you know of anybody who's really good at this, uh, at creating a cybersecurity culture? And what, what methods do they use to kind of infuse that thinking inside their company? I'd say that there's probably probably two or three things that I, that I would do to really build that great culture, or culture and reality of cybersecurity. So I'm an internal CISO myself. I'm responsible for making sure that our enterprise IT is safe and secure, and the people who use it are making good choices. The, uh, it starts with good training, as you talked about, making sure that the people know what their responsibilities are and that they have practice in making sure they're making good decisions. So maybe that would be phishing testing or something like that, but otherwise making sure that the training's in place. The second major thing I would do would be use machines to help compensate for the inevitable mistakes that we humans make because we're tired or sloppy or, or didn't do training. And so maybe we can use our, that automation that you asked about earlier to look for evidence of a unwise behavior and question the user to see if they really want to do that seemingly risky behavior. So automation would be the second thing. And then the third thing, I would, I would run some type of, um, I don't want to call it insider threat, but some type of some type of background processing that is in a more broader context looking for just really unusual behaviors among the people for when someone actually does turn bad. So think of the, the insider or the activist insider or maybe even external folks that made it into your network and is starting to act up. So I do think you need some type of deeper analytic uh, scans of your network to understand what normal behavior is and what abnormal behavior is and have an ability to detect that and block that. So those would be my three pieces of the uh, solution. Good, excellent. Um, and then uh, do you know of any companies that are, I mean, we all know that in the CIA and NSA, you know, there's a really strong cybersecurity culture. We all know that in some of the regulated and, 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 and uh, uh, mission critical industries like financial services, there are. Are there any other industries that are especially good at this that, that, that you could call out? I, I'm gonna, uh, give you a perhaps surprising answer, and I'm going to move over into the OT space, the operational technology space. In the OT world, um, they're focused on safety and reliability, because if, if a bad thing happens in the operational technology space, people get hurt, people lose lives, large swaths of the population don't get essential services that 
all of us are dependent upon. So to answer your question, I really look up to the operational technology folks who deal all the time with the safety and reliability of critical manufacturing in, industri in, uh, in the industrial automation that takes place there and the OT that's used in our critical infrastructures as well. Last question is about cyber insurance. I know a lot of CIOs, CTOs and CISOs who are being really strongly encouraged or forced to buy cyber insurance policies. And a lot of them really are frustrated by this because they don't think that the insurance is that good. The money spent on it doesn't get large amount of coverage. It gets coverage that is highly contingent. And, uh, in, and they haven't, uh, many of them, uh, haven't had the experience that these companies pay out. Uh, uh, they, they always find some way out of it. What's your view of, uh, your advice to a CISO who's being sort of strongly encouraged or forced to, to buy cybersecurity insurance? Is there, should they argue against it or should they try to, um, you know, minimize it or should they try to find a way to make it work for them, make the, the whole process of doing it provide some benefit other than what was originally intended? Good question. I, I think there is a, a conversation you can have with a, a C-suite, whether it be the CEO, CFO, or CTO. And that's, it's about risk, right? As we all know in cyberspace, risk is some combination of a threat, a vulnerability, and a bad consequence that you don't want to happen. Um, to me, to manage risk, you have to mitigate each one of those components, the threat, the vulnerability, or the bad consequence from happening. And only when we're precise enough to understand what the levels are for each of those, the threat, the vulnerability, bad consequence, only when we're, we know that with precision will we be more capable of, of driving down that risk. So how do you drive down risk? You do so in two major ways. One, with technical countermeasures, and two, with insurance. So you, you, um, you mitigate as much of the technical risk as you can, can reasonably do, and you use insurance to cover the risks that can't be addressed technically. Got it. And the good news is that CEOs who aren't necessarily technologists, technologists meaning they, they don't really understand the ins and outs of vulnerabilities and in, um, threats, they're really good about describing the bad consequences they want to avoid. So if you can put things in those terms, you can really have a meaningful conversation with the C-suite about risk and the investment necessary to buy down the risk through technical measures and through insurance. And then would you include training as a technical countermeasure? Or, or I would. Okay. I would. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Well, thank you so much. This is a great conversation. Got a lot of good ideas out. I appreciate your time. Thanks, Dan, for having us today.